Hey guys, and welcome back to the Raised Hunting Podcast. I'm joined here today by Warren and Easton. Warren, who is about to become, what is your problem? I just drank soap. I washed my cup and I thought I rinsed it out good enough. Good, you need Ooh, your mouth boy. washed out. Warren, who is about to become one entire year older in two more days, so wishing Warren a um, little early birthday. Woo. <laughs> Easton, who is not having a birthday anytime soon, wishing you a special new year. Woo. <laughs> no, so today we're going to talk, let's see. what start celebrating the half birthdays or whatever, like everybody does. Half birthdays? Yeah, people will be like, it's my half birthday. No, it's little kids when they start talking in weeks and they call them, there's like 612 weeks old, you know, and it's like, the hell, yeah. how many months is that, you know, or how many, how you, when the kid's a year, he's a year. <laughs> Who you know? does that? Oh, a lot all kinds of people. people. 18 months, 20 months. See, that's a year and a half to me. Yeah, if you say 18 months, why not just say a year and a half? That would be like saying it was, that would be like describing something saying it's 18 inches. It's a foot and a half. Exactly. It's hard to describe that. The yeah. only thing that really we kind of burn ourselves on that is when you talk about scoring, you know, it's never going to go. You're not going to say the main beam was... You know, four feet, you know, two on an feet. elk or something. Yeah, or two feet. You're going to say it was 24 inches. It's a so we're just as bad as the extended baby mamas out there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So what do you want to do first? You want me to tell people what we're going to talk about, or you want to do some shout-out stuff? Uh, mo- Apple was slacking this week, so uh, pretty much everybody that we have to shout-out was on Spotify, which obviously everybody knows. We don't, we can't see their names yeah. on there, which right. is so dumb. And uh, and YouTube, we got lots of YouTube people. They're so glad they're getting there. I think we've been answering oh, too. I went trying some too. Yeah, Travis Huddleworth, six thirty. Braden Bolton, we see you guys. Bent Tine Outdoors, he's always on there. He's a man. Uh, the darkest hero. That's kind of a cool name. I feel like that's like some kind of Joker stuff. Uh, Hunters Advantage, those are good guys. They were the ones that gave us the topic when we did. Your biggest deer ever, but it's not mature. Do you shoot it or not? Oh yeah, that they give us that. That was a good one. Kennedy Cruz Outdoors five three nine two. Dustin Coffee seven eighty seventy eight seventy seven. Lisa Ann Allen sixty two eighty three. I'm gonna say that's a married couple. Uh, Bam Bam twenty five thirty three. Joey Capsh. He has a third nipple. He says. <laughs> and Luke Ingram. Anyways, uh, so thank you guys, and to a message to all of you guys directly, pretty much. Starting January 1 is what I think we're going to go. We may give you till the second week of January. We're going to put all of these podcasts on their own YouTube channel. It's going to be called the Raced Hunting Podcast. So you're gonna, we'll put a link in, in here so that you can go and subscribe to that YouTube channel. The reason that we're doing that is we are going to be putting out a lot more content on YouTube this year. Uh, a lot of hunting stuff, a lot of um, informational stuff, a lot of things Yeah, that, that we are just doing at the time. And the problem with the podcast and those two things is it makes it very hard to uh, navigate through those for anybody trying to view stuff and for us. So we're going to just se- separate them, make them two separate channels. So um, pretty soon you're going to want to make sure that you have subscribed to the Raised Hunting Podcast because you're not going to be able to find them on the Raised Hunting YouTube channel anymore. And we w- we're going to update all of our past uh, 
podcast we already have on there to the new one. So you're not going to be missing any. Like if you want to go back and listen or whatever, you can still do that. Uh, if you want a clarification, yes, we're going to put the link in there too. If you see the profile picture right now, I've kept it very bland so you can tell the difference. It's just like an R and green. I want to – yeah, green versus our raised hunting YouTube channel is our logo and everything. So if you see both, podcast is the raised hunting podcast, whole channel. We'll put the link in there. Yep. Cool. All right. So we appreciate you guys doing the reviews and sending in tips. And so today's uh, topic actually comes from another gentleman that um, contacted us and said – Hey, I want to know, um, he went into a lot deeper explanation. His name is Mike Prado. And what Mike wrote, what Mike contacted us for is he said that um, in the past, he had not had to do a bunch of scouting, that he hunted a family farm and things like that, and everything was kind of just provided. And since then, he's bought a piece of property. And so now he's like, I don't even know where to start. What am I supposed to be looking for? And we looked at this and said, well, man, he's contacting us at the perfect time because this is probably one of the most prevalent times to do some scouting or one of the best times to get a lot of um, information wise. So we're going to tackle that today and talk a little bit about scouting and some of the do's and don'ts and um, some of the tips that we use and why we scout when we do and where we do. Um, Here's the first thing that I would tell you, Mike, is Scouting is a 365-day job. I mean, it never stops. Even during hunting season, um, hunting you probably are is probably your best scouting tool ever because you're actually getting to see. So my point being is that time, time, it just takes time to learn something and, and figure it out a lot of times. But um, definitely there's things that you can pick up on. So any you guys want to – someone want to tackle why and why – why can now be such a good time for someone to be scouting? Well, I think I think we should just go into general. Like, what what are the very first things you're looking for? Because let's just pretend that there's zero. We have zero information. We don't know where deer are. We don't know what deer deer are doing. We don't know where they feed. Nothing. What are you going to start with? And so I think the easiest way to frame this would be to say, let's go. We're going to Wisconsin, a state that none of us have hunted. What is the very first thing that you're going to do for scouting? Onyx pulled up and I'm looking at anything before I get there. Okay. E, some guys call it e-scouting. What are you looking at? I'm going to look if I've got if you just, if you just have a general piece of property, I'm obviously going to look at that piece of property, but I'm going to look for uh where there's timber, where maybe there's some water or something, where I think there might be some agriculture, fields, things like that that I can tell, hey, I think a deer would be here. Might not have any idea if they're there, but this is a point of interest for me until I put feet on the ground and start going in there, that's going to give me a reference as to where to start at least. Yeah. And I think the next step of that, I, I agree. That's probably where I would start, but right alongside that or is driving the area and that physically looking and saying, okay, there is, a, that is in corn or it's not in corn or it's in beans or whatever it is and drive around, kind of look and see, are there, am I seeing other hunters, you know, and if I am, how many, uh, am I seeing public land or am I hunting public land? You know, yep. um, what kind of pressure am I going to see where the access points for? And then probably one of the biggest things for me, um, if it's private ground, where am I going to access the farm that I'm hunting? You know, how am I getting in and getting out? Um, and so it, it, and then the next thing would be starting to look at weather, you know, and 
um, and seeing what kind of weather patterns are telling well, me let, what's going on. Hold on, let's back out. Yeah, let's back out. You got, you guys have a very hard time slowing uh, down. Yeah, this is hey, what's, this is what's great simple. is I can go to a, uh, I can go to first grade if I need to, and so we're in first grade. So you live in first driving grade. around is now what we're doing. Well, then you're getting your ass kicked by a first grader. <laughs> okay. What? what? You don't, don't even want to. You don't even <laughs> want to go to the coloring book section. Uh, anyways, let's get refocused here. So, driving around, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Because the first thing we got to do before we can worry about e scouting or anything else, is we need to know where a deer lives, right? And if we're in Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin's a great example as far as it's very similar to here. So you already know, corn, beans, those types of things are going to have deer. Let's say we're in, we're back in Montana. There are no corn or beans. Correct. In in 90% of the state. So you're going to have to drive around and find some different things to understand where those deer are. Um, so oh, that would be a great, great guest. I think the very first thing that we need to do is we need to determine, I think driving is the best way to do that. I think it's the quickest way to drive around in the evening and see, okay, hey, there's deer that are hanging out in, in this kind of stuff, in the timber or in the alfalfa fields or in the bean fields or in the corn fields or, or whatever is in your area. So I think that's level one. And then I think to, to your point, once you've driven around and you've understood that, now the next thing you got to do is you got to make sure you have a place to hunt. So whether that's private ground yep. or public ground, um, whatever that may be. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's say that it's 200 acres of private ground, okay? And the reason I'm saying that is because we, as we all know, there's no point really in doing that much scouting if there's no deer there. So let's assume that this place has some deer. So now we've established what we understand we're looking for. We've driven around. We've acquainted ourselves a little bit with an area that has deer. Now we have a place to hunt. We're even that You even do better. that backwards. No, I'm he, not. He says he's already got a place to hunt. you got to base it off of that, not finding where the deer are. No, I think that was the issue is that he's before now he's got to go find somewhere else no he bought no, a new he piece bought, of he land he bought his own he's got his okay. own okay well that's now. it's still going to go to the same point okay. so now you're now you've got this piece of ground and now you're going to go in and scout what does that mean to each of you what is that what is it that you're looking for what is it that you're trying to find is it are you hoping to bump deer out of there is it trails is it sheds is it scrapes is it rubs is it what is it that you're looking for in particular I'll go first, or you want me? I'm going to – I would just re-say what you guys just did backwards. I'd, once I, I have the land, then I'll drive around a little bit. I want to hear you say bit. it all backwards. That's what you guys just did. I would have the land, find out, drive around it, see where there's deer coming in and out, and then after that, then I'll go in. And when I'm in there, I'm looking for literally any sign. I don't, if you if find it's out the that land general, that you've got, has no deer on it. Well, you're kind of screwed if that's what you bought. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of stuck on that. So you're going to have to figure out, figure it out, or you're going to have to completely jump ship. But he, we're going off of something that you already have. So you got to figure out where the deer are on there because they're going to be there somewhere, hopefully. Uh, I'm going for any sign. Let me start very general. Poop, tracks, rubs, literally anything. And I'm just giving myself the biggest amount of information possible. And then from there, you can narrow it down. Okay, there's a bunch that are going here. Or there's an occasion. There's some coming over here. And then, in my opinion, you're when you're walking through those things, if you can hunt it, that's great. 
if it's this time of year, you could go sit somewhere like, hey, there's some pretty good spots here. I can sit up and sit away. Like, I don't get real far into something. Um, sit where I can, not going to affect anything, and I can observe more than I can actually hunt. And that's going to give me a more of a reference of which, where they're going to primarily or versus if they're all just coming to one spot and you don't know where they're coming from or to going to. How many acres did you say this was? I didn't, you didn't say. Okay. Okay. Or if he did, I don't remember. So what are you doing? See, the, the big difference, I think, that what I, I'm looking at terrain. And what I mean by terrain is whether there's fence lines, creeks. Um, I'm looking for crossing area. I'm looking for things that are going to funnel deer regardless. I'm assuming that whoever bought a piece of property or whether you're hunting public ground, you have to have some knowledge that there are deer in the area. All right? And hopefully your driving around gave you a little more knowledge on where the majority of them are. So, because those things won't change. The fence lines won't change. The creek will be there. There may or may not be water in them. That can be something that can be a factor. Um, uh, Field edges and things like that should be the same. The crop may change. So, there's different things that that, um, I think you got to be careful because I, I like scouting at this time of year, but also you can be very Sometimes it can be overstimulating, and what I mean by that is you look at a trail and go, oh, my gosh, there's all kinds of deer here. Well, it's just super easy to see right now, especially if there's snow on the ground and deer are using it. you got to be careful that, you know, that that is going to be a deer, deer trail that's going to be used back during hunting season when you're planning on, let's say, going in bow season. The other factor is, I mean, at the same time, I'm looking, if I can find trails, if I can find um, one of the biggest things that I'd love to find at this time of year is scrapes and rubs because that those give me some kind of an idea on where those deer were during the time of the year that I'm going to be hunting. Mm-hmm. So that kind of narrows me down a little bit more. And so now if I can find scrapes and rubs, so I, and then generally speaking, and, and I would think that, Mike, if you're, if you're out there and you're looking at a place, something that's new is being able to identify what you believe would be a bedding area. Um, identifying feeding and bedding because that's primarily in kindergarten or first grade terms. That's all we're really doing. We're trying to find bedding and feeding. And we, if we find those two, then we end up hunting sometimes in between there or on one or the other. Just depends on um, just co- common sense should say bedding is a place that maybe you're going to hunt in the mornings and try to beat the deer there before they get back there. It's not a place that you're going to go into in the evening anticipating you're going to try to sneak into their bedding area while they're there um, and vice versa for feeding. You know, you go to the feed, hunt, hunt the feeding areas in the afternoons, catching the deer as they're coming. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things. Now, now is when I'm looking at um, how does this land lay and what are my weather, or I mean, what are my wind directions and things like that start to look like. Um, fence crossings. Uh, I love fence crossings and creek crossings. Because those do seem to be something that naturally pinch deer to a certain point often and and can narrow them down to like you can shoot them yeah. you know so I, um, uh, the scrapes and rubs I think could be big if you understand the difference in what you're looking for with each one because if I see a scrape right now that is wide open and they're still consistently hitting it. That is something that I will mark on my Onyx or I'll mark with a picture on my Onyx or something because I'm look I'm gonna look at that next year. Because if they're op- if they're keeping it open right now, that means that it's probably a 
community, community scrape. scrape. So they're probably consistently coming to it, which means they're probably never ever going to be completely closed up. They might not use it as much, but that means next year, and now I already have a, a head start on, okay, they're probably going to be opening this one up at some point here pretty soon or during the rut or whatever, versus rubs are going to tell me where the bucks have been this year. But I see, I tend to find rubs, they switch, they move around quite a bit as far as, yeah, like one specific one, you're, you're going to know that they probably aren't going to come hit that consistently every time, more times than not. But it seems like when I find like a line of rubs or something, I'm not, I won't find that every year in the same exact spot. Sometimes I do, but other times it's just maybe a hundred yards away or something or in that area versus that exact spot versus a scrape that is if they're opening that scrape there I have multiple scrapes where they're for three four years they're just consistent every year they're gonna come hit it I think the first thing I'm doing it one I think it's important to, to note that this is going to change on the time of year because if you get cold weather right now and stuff and it gets start getting nasty all, you you may have a piece of ground where all your deer are going to leave they'll all leave wherever and they're they going to wherever food. there's food and then there's other time and then during fall though during October, November, they're probably going to be on you the entire time, or at least those deer that live there. So uh, if you have one of those places, you can't panic because, and then if you have the opposite where you do have the food, you need to understand too that you probably aren't going to get to have all those deer there through October, November, September, uh, you know, the next year. The first thing I'm doing on any piece of property that I get is I'm walking every inch of it. I think e-scouting is great. I think that being able to look at the ground is great, but it, you just can't get any better understanding until you've walked it. Um, and then I'm doing the same thing that you guys are. I'm just looking for one. I'm always looking for, I love, I like bedding areas. I just like trying to find places that I think these deer are bedding. Cause I think that if I can find that spot, I can try to find where he's going to be at the, during the daytime, which is going to give me the best chance of killing him. Um, so I'm looking for the same thing. I'm looking for big trails, looking for bedding areas, looking for rubs, scrapes. I think rubs and scrapes are two years most important things to me in understanding where your bucks are going to be. Uh, I think from that point, that's what's going to really give you an advantage on finding them during the time period that you need them uh, in, in order to kill them. So I think that we're all pretty much on the same, same lines there. So let's, let's throw the, because I think we are trying to help someone, not just Mike, someone that's looking for the first time type thing or, or, what identifies a bedding area? You know, what, what, how do we know this is a bedding area? Yep. You know, um, and, and I can just tell you the one thing that I'm looking for is when I start cussing to myself of trying to get through it, then usually I'm probably walking right through the middle of a bedding area. I was just going to disagree with that. Well, I'm not saying that's my only bedding area because there's other places. I, I, one of my best places is a, um, West facing on my own ground is a west facing hillside that's not real thick at all and those deer love to bed on that hill right there yeah. i think it's a huge on your ground because uh there's some places where for instance where i hunt the majority of the time is it's tough to find something bedding because it's so open but they don't have any like i think the the part of that is because uh they're trying to find something because other people hunt it too. So they don't have that like sense of security versus uh, like where Frayne and, and Dagger are where those deer, I would not guess that some of those hillsides were great bedding areas, 
but they live in there because, and I think that's because it's so secluded that they can get back in there and they don't worry about much. Um, and they can see a little bit. So that's two different farms. One, they hate the open, open land and the other one, they don't care because they're secluded enough. The one has pressure, the one doesn't. And, uh, I think that in a place that has pressure, the, that thick stuff is really good, really, really good. We can prove that with the neighboring places very thick and they love it. And so I think it kind of depends on one, the amount of people that are hunting there, if any, two, if they have any sense of security or seclusion. Um, because I think that there's probably quite a few rule, rules of thumbs out there of this is going to be generally good most of the time. But I think there's going to be outliers for your land, for each portion of land. Well, one, you can see beds. I was going to say the really obvious thing is a circle on the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say moderately dense cover. I think that, I think that what, when you get to the stuff that you can't walk through hardly, we always think that that's going to be, same during shed season, we always claim that that's going to be where all the deer are bedding, and I don't think that's true. I've convinced myself that it was true for 15 years. Now I'm convincing myself that the evidence says otherwise. <laughs> well, see, I think that depends because you go some places that it is that thick and it just sucks to walk through, and they are all over it. Yeah, but and I'm thinking about even places. like where Magnum is, was when I killed Magnum. That place is thick as shit. But yet the deer would avoid all that. They would be walking on the only trails that were open. Yeah, he was in the pasture. Go to the north of that, though, where we've had BZ and everybody, and that stuff is annoying as crap to to shed hunt or walk through or anything like that because all the thorns and everything, and they pile on it, and they, they hang out all. And now I will say that I, I, it doesn't seem like they go bursting all the way into the center of it, but they seem that those ones seem to stay right along the edges of it or right next to it or close to it. That's what I'm trying to say is when I say moderately dense cover, I'm saying, like, it's, it's thick. There's cover. Yeah. But they can walk into it. That's not where they're having to go through it, and it cuts them open. You know, because they're trying to get through this super, super thick stuff to get into it. On public, that might be more, the deer might do that because they have to. Or yeah. I think maybe those deer just get smarter and they bed somewhere where they can be a little bit higher and, and have a vantage point and the wind or something like that. Yeah. All right. Um, the other one that I think that I was thinking of, though, is, so when we talk about them bedding in those areas, number one, one of my favorites to look for is cedars. And what I'm talking about is cedars typically that are that don't grow all the way to the ground. It seems like when they can get up and up underneath those cedars, they love laying underneath those cedars, and it's easy to see beds in there. Yeah. Um, and and I find those deer in there a lot. Um, also, they become a really good windbreak. Um, and weather, like if there's snow or yep. rain or anything, that that's when I pay more attention to places like that because they can actually get out of it. For sure. If uh, if you're gonna go in and scout some a place what is the one thing that's making you like go oh man i found it like this is the spot somewhere where you're confident what is it that tells you like you're super confident that there's a bunch of deer in here and that this is going to be a place to sit and kill a deer i can't answer that how i want to but <laughs> it's a feeling in my guts so i'll go with that <laughs> but i don't know i think that part of that is experience and part of that is uh on a base level, I think it's, you're seeing lots of sign everywhere. You're like, okay, I've seen some deer in here, but there's rubs over here. There's scrapes over here. I'm seeing trails coming through here. I'm seeing trails come together here um, versus just one or two big trails. 
like somewhere where you're seeing that's like, oh man, it seems like everybody comes through here at some point. And then as, as after you've had ex- a, like a long time of experience, I feel like there's times where you get into something and you don't know why. You're like, man, this looks good. It feels good. This is going to be good. And sometimes it is. And sometimes you're like, ooh, I don't know what feeling that gave me. But that's it. I mean. Don't you think that probably came from years of experience, though? That's that's what I just said. I said after you've gained, like, gotten a lot of experience with it, there's times where you're going to be like, oh, I don't know why this feels so good, but it is. Well, well that's what I'm saying. It's well, one of the best things that, that obviously is. that can just did. is seeing a deer, seeing a buck, you know, seeing a good buck or – because the other thing that I would tell you that I'm going to do scouting-wise is I'm going to start dropping some trail cameras and start actually physically trying to get pictures. And I'm going to go, and if I'm going to a new area, that's where the raised scents come huge because I can go to those scrapes. And now if it's this time of year, I, I know that I'm not going to have 20 bucks show up and start rubbing on a tree or hitting that scrape. But I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for a few. I'm looking for to see if I can get – um, you know, who's left and that kind of thing to tell me what's going on. So th- that would be number one. But the one that I think that you made, the, the yours is perfect. But when you say, man, this this is it, and that is I'm walking a piece of property and I've already looked at all this. I've looked at driving around. I've looked at and I thought I had a good idea of what they were going to be doing. And then all of a sudden I walk into the woods and they're doing exactly what I thought they were going to be. That's when I'm like, okay, this they're going to the field that I thought they were going to. That looked like a bedding area on, on X when I looked at it. And that definitely looks like in here. Now I'm in here and I can physically see it. This makes perfect sense on why they would be bedded here. And then all of a sudden, and now I, the other thing that I look for a lot when I'm walking through is I'm looking for trees that I can put stands in. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's nothing more frustrating than finding the best place that you can possibly find and there's no place to get into a tree now i can solve that a little bit by using a ground line um but it's sometimes that's tough you know in the timber and i mean so ground blinds have their place and i shoot a lot of animals out of ground blinds i like hunting out of them but if i have my choice i would rather be in a tree stand hunting a whitetail deer um if, if 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 at all possible yep so that would be the one that the, the scouting thing that you go, oh, yeah, is when what you're looking for is there, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, because let's go the opposite. I, th- I mean, you think you've got all this figured out. It looks like a great piece of ground or whatever, but you get in there, and all of a sudden when you get in there, they're just – the timber's open, too much open. It, there There's no sign. There's, there's very little, you know, do you even waste your time there. You know, maybe, maybe not. Um, One of my number one things that I love to find is an old stand. And when I mean old stand, I'm talking like something that typically you can't get in it anymore. I'm looking for pegs in a tree that tell me that someone else was in this same spot and thought or felt like deer were here. And, man, I can't tell you how many deer I've killed right next to or right in the same tree that someone else had hung a stand in 30 years before me. You know, and that can be huge. Well, they had to, a lot of those guys had to build them, so maybe yeah. they were a lot more selective about yeah. where they yeah, were going to put a stand. I, I was one of those guys that, I mean, before I could, I built all kinds of pressure treated stands, you know, to put in a tree. Yeah, eat dinosaur. <laughs> so those are some of the things. Um, 
and then it then again it's like I would be turkey hunting it so that I could be in there and see what's going on because turkey season it's going to start to change a little bit it's going to start to green up um, you're going to get to start to see some of the bucks that are possibly growing you might see you know during turkey season we occasionally we'll see a buck that's already got big huge bases that kind of thing um, and then spending some time around there in the summer and stuff like that the one thing that someone's got to be very cautious of is hanging stands like right now compared to what it's going to look like six months, seven months from now. Yeah. You know, because it's going to change a bunch. I'm getting pegged and stuff. Getting nailed. Yep. yep. So. Well, I mean, right now, if you hang a stand, though, at the same time, and you have enough cover there, it should be plenty. Well, it would go both ways. Early, but it might be too much. Struggle with, yeah. Yeah, you might not even be able to see the ground when you get there in the, during mm-hmm. bow season. Yep. So that's again where, um, and and I don't, and I'm we don't have a company that we're like pushing or anything like that. But saddles and have kind of revolutionized. You can get in any tree. You know, maybe you don't hang stands. Maybe you just simply mark stands on on X and say, okay, this is a stand location. Um, this is a tree that I know that I could see pretty well out of at least right now or it's facing this way, it's got this wind direction and things like that, and then I go mark another one, and next thing I know i got 10 possible stand locations, and I'm ready for next year to at least start. Yeah, yeah. I did that a lot. That's one thing I'm going to do a lot better job this year is when I'm using, when I'm scouting places and I'm on Onyx, I'm going to, I will drop a pin on something and not leave myself any notes. And I'm an idiot because I should know with my memory that I have no idea. So then then I'm, I look at it the next year and I'm like, what the hell was that? Because I know if I took the time to mark it, it, must be it was important. something significant. Right. And I'm like, well, what, what was that there? You know, like, what did I put there? And I can't ever remember. So this year I'm going to do a lot better job of saying, okay, this was a humongous rub, or there was four rubs in a row, or this was a giant trail so that I can then look you at it. You can also take a photo like, oh, okay. and put it in there. I know. I started doing that <laughs> last year. It was much. Yeah, your Onyx was, oh. If you have any sort of organization in your head, you'll have an aneurysm if you looked at his Onyx. It's organized <laughs> to me. It's awful. Oh, my goodness. I I have a recommendation for you guys if you took us three, because I think we all have a little bit different scouting techniques. Mine, when I get new properties or get permission here and there kind of thing, I would say I, I'd take a long time. And I, I always think that it's going to take you a while to learn, like maybe even a couple of years, depending on how big it is, to learn like very significant key things um, with hunting different properties. But I would say if you are that kind of person that you don't like going in uh, to certain areas or you like to stay out of it and try to uh, maybe scout from a distance and things like that, you know, like, I'll learn this over the over the course of a of a time period while I'm hunting it or I've hunted it for a little while and things like that. I would tell you to uh, don't do that and don't be as uh, nervous about it because that's where I screw up. That's where I set myself back a lot because if you take Warren's style, his would be fast. His would be I'm going in, I'm going to walk it, I'm going to check these things, I'm going to get the best lay of the land as I possibly can. And he he can do that and find a specific deer or a certain caliber of deer and be on him that much faster versus me taking the time to do it and uh i think that if you have new places it the way he's doing it i don't see that much of a downside um i just i don't know why i don't make myself go do things like that 
But I would say that if you are that style where you're scared because everybody on TikTok or YouTube or whatever says that if you scare a deer, they're going to be gone forever or whatever, this, that, and the other, I would say ignore it. Go get an idea of how the land is laying and how where you're seeing deer, where you're seeing sign. And if, if you do it one or two times well, yeah, you're going to bump some deer. You're going to mess some deer up, whatever. They're going to come back at some point or another, even if they come back that day. But might as well do it once really well versus taking a few years even to learn certain things in certain places because it's just going to take you that much longer. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Well, and it changes. Yeah, and I, I would almost argue even against myself of if you do take your time, there's more downside to that than there is upside because, yeah, I'm learning a lot, but I'm learning a lot in a slow manner, and that also means that I'm going in a lot more certain areas i'm putting a lot more pressure than what i would if i would have just walked through once and know okay today i need to hunt this versus this whole week i'm going to hunt it with these winds that wind, and the other and like you can narrow it down a lot more and learn a lot much quicker so if you are slow and you're scared to go into certain places or you're skeptical or whatever else i would say send it just send it and go learn yeah especially if you're looking at this time of year i mean you got seven months for them to adjust, you know, or you're even a few months out as opposed to the week before the season. Okay. Maybe your thought process changes just a little bit, you know, maybe you want to be a little more careful, but I'm notorious for when I walk through the woods, I walk through the woods. Yeah. Loud. I am. We're talking, we're doing everything. I, I don't want them to feel like there's something in here preying on them. We're not, we're just a, farmer rancher out there fixing fence doing whatever we need to be doing we're not paying any attention to them we're looking at sign we're just moving around i would tell you right now too though be careful with that because if you don't have people that you know are out there enough as in farmers right. or somebody that lives there and they're getting used to you will hurt yourself i i do the same thing like there's times where we walk into the woods and there's a deer standing there looking at us and i'll be like nope keep going don't even act like we're hunting them or anything. And that's on places with lots of pressure. Now, I've tried the whole, I'm going to go in when I want to kind of thing and check my cameras or go hang a stand and I'm going to be loud and everything else. And I'm telling you right now, I would much rather knock down in those certain places, knock down the amount of times I'm going in and do it once. And if I got to do it loud, do a, get a crap load done at once. Or I'm going to go in and just slip in, try to be quiet and do it. Because I've tried the... Your, your places, you're around them enough that the deer, obviously you're not going to train a wild freaking deer, but the deer can get used to, hey, there's that's the mule or that's a, that's a vehicle that they've heard before versus where some of the places I hunt, nobody goes in that timber unless they're hunting them. So every time I go making noise, all I'm doing is making more pressure for myself. I learned that the hard way. So... If you have the ability and you know there's a farmer out there frequently checking cows, doing all kinds of things, do it. Be loud. It's going to say it. We've killed deer doing it that way. But if you don't have somebody that you know is going to be in there a lot or you know that there's a lot of pressure in certain places, be careful with it. Don't put too much pressure on it that you don't need to. Yeah. I would agree with that because I think we, the, one of the craziest things we've seen still to me is the fact that we have a couple places in, um, where during the off season. They'll eat out of the feeder, exactly like you'd expect them to, you know, free food and <laughs> no problem. And then other places where they will not eat out of the feeder. Yeah, they avoid it. The deer will not eat out of it. You could put 
anything you want in there, and they will not go get it. Maybe crack if they got addicted. Then they became We'd have to get a test for it or yeah. something, though. Yeah, yeah they, they would. <laughs> they'd be coming out of prison. Get arrested. Yeah. Um, so you talked about scrapes, like being open right now, big scrapes, community-type scrapes, something that you can recognize. But rubs, when you guys – because you both mentioned lo- a line of rubs. And see, depending on the kind of line of rubs, I'm not looking for lines. Rubs just tell me the bucks were there. They were just passing through. Now, signpost rubs, which are big rubs that or, – or not even necessarily big rubs, rubs that look like they've been rubbed on year after year, meaning you can see where the tree is worn from times before. Those are rubs that I'm looking for that I'm paying attention to. And this time of year, they'll show up like a sore thumb. You know, oh, yeah. they stand out, and you can't miss them. I don't find them very often. I don't know how you guys do. I find them every once in a while. But I don't know, but – Maybe that's also because I put the amount of consistency on, like, one that's in the ground. I match it to what I'd be expecting out of, like, a, one of our rub posts when we put it in. And that's, I don't feel like that's fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not a fair comparison. No. I've seen some of them. They've shredded them. Yeah. I've, I've, the one that I that always comes to my mind is the Big 8. They And th- that was every deer. The reason I could say the Big 8 is because me and Dad watched the Big 8 and what that 11 that he fought hit it. and. That was two or three years where they had dang near cut the thing in half. Yep. Eventually killed the tree completely, I think, mm-hmm. didn't they? Because it ain't there anymore. And that that one was like, okay, yeah, you're pretty well. There, you're gonna have a lot of deer coming and hitting this yep. all the time. Yep. So those are some of the things that hopefully that kind of sheds some light on there, Mike. That, um, you know, the other thing would be understanding crop rotation, talking to neighbors. Um, you know, in the area, if you're not familiar with the area at all, I would be trying to talk to as many people as I could to see what's going on in that area. Are the are the guys hunting around you? Are they a hunt club and they kill everything? Are they a hunt club and they only kill, they manage their deer? Is it an outfitter next door to you that, you know, he has a 150-inch minimum, I, I mean, or a 100-inch minimum, or is it public land and everyone's shooting everything? They're just, there's so much that, that to be that can needs to be taken in that could change everything that we're saying to you know oh well we didn't mention that you know because the other big one that we haven't mentioned is a water source and water is a big deal and i think it's something that we oftentimes overlook and i'm not talking about a pond or a lake but some type of water source in the timber especially if you're hunting during the rut um we'll see these bucks take a break for a second to go get a drink of water and so that can be a big one. And, and that there, some of this stuff you can add yourself. You can make mock scrapes. You can make put in a rub tree. You can add water. Um, and in some states, you can add food. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a big, I've never been big, even when I was hunting a state where it was allowed to hunt over bait. Um, and I say it's baiting when you're hunting it. You're feeding them when you're just feeding them during an off season. Yeah. You know, um, so there's a difference there. But be careful if you're going to start using bait or food um, because you, you don't try to change what the deer, meaning don't go into a bedding area and dump 500 pounds of corn. Um, you're changing what's going on. You just change the bedding area to a feeding area. Um, so just, you know, things like that. Everything that we're talking about is going off of what the deer are doing naturally. Yep. Um, naturally is a corn field or a soybean field or an alfalfa field. The other one, though, that um, we don't deal with it much here, 
is other food sources that you would want to look for. And, and I'm big on, because Iowa doesn't have a lot of them. And when you do find a place that's got them, um, different states that I've hunted and lived in, different things. So find out what your deer are feeding on in your area. Like when I lived in Arkansas, persimmons. When the persimmons would ripen, the deer were at those trees. It was for like two days, three days. But I mean, they would absolutely hammer it. But there also wasn't very many persimmon trees. So having a stand next to a persimmon tree and understanding when it would ripen would be huge. Equivalent to that here in Iowa would be a white oak tree. We don't have a lot of, we got lots of red oaks, but we very rarely do we find a white oak tree. But but acorns can change a whole deer, the, the whole thing they're doing, whether they're going to the cornfields or not. Um, because when the acorns start dropping, I mean, it is a preferred food big time. And white oaks are num- one of the number ones. So, but that's not the same. That's the same for other states. It, I mean, you just have to kind of learn where you're at and figure out what's going on. But though, there are natural food things out there that you need to pay attention to. The acorns start popping. The deer, the acorn, acorns start dropping. The deer start popping. Is that I don't know how that makes new, sense, but that, that's your new saying. I don't know, I'll, but that just makes me think more of like the problem with, with pre-scouting is that when that happens, your information is now irrelevant. What do you mean? Meaning that when you're looking at watching these deer going to the fields and they're going to these big food sources, that that the information you were getting that from most likely was not taking into account acorn. Right. Um, acorns hitting the ground. Yeah, you'll never be able to take into account all the different variables that could no, change. No, but you can adjust. Day. Yeah. You know. For sure. So, well, I think that's a pretty good uh, oversight of. Of scouting. Scouting of what we're going to be doing, what we're going to look at. To be 100% honest, we probably missed. 100% Amish. (laughs) We might have missed 100 things, you know, but it's just one of those things is don't get discouraged and keep doing it. Because the more you do it, the more, the better you'll get at it. And um, a lot of, not are we trying to hold any secrets or anything like that. It, there's just so much to throw out there that we, this is just a basic overview. Yep. Do you, th- do you believe in uh, these strictly uh, buck bedding areas? Like I see these guys making these videos and stuff, and they're talking about, oh, this is where a buck is bedding. And he's bedding here, and he's entering this way, and he's exiting that way. I'd have to see the piece of ground, you know, but judging from the areas we hunt, no, because uh, I'll see those bucks bed in several different areas. Do they areas. kill that deer every year? I, I don't know. I don't believe they do, but I don't know that. I can't make that statement. I will believe that if they kill that deer every year, but if they don't, you ain't going to be able to tell that unless you're seeing them physically bed there every single time. Well, I'd, I'd seen a study and I couldn't find it now for the life of me, but they said that the average deer has 39 different beds. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, plus I don't, I think people are thinking way, way overboard that this deer has, that he's bedding in this specific spot with a pre-planned entry and exit route. Like, what the hell is he, deer team six? <laughs> That's I mean, pretty good. Come on, <laughs> like, we're getting a little bit ridiculous here on how smart we we're giving these deer credit for. All right. Are you looking up your wacky facts? Is that what you're doing right now? Yes. 
You're supposed you to I have a wacky fact. Did you know Trader Joe's is a grocery store? That is not a wacky fact. That's, that's just a... What? This moron walked in there thinking it was a freaking, like, home goods store. And walked all the way to the back and was like, oh, I guess it's the whole thing is a grocery store. It doesn't... Trader Joe's does not say grocery store. That name does not seem like a grocery store. Neither does... What does Hy-Vee? It's just a name. Fairway. It's, but it's in their name. Hy-Vee Grocery Store. I think it's actually no, it's, Hy-Vee Groceries. It's definitely just Hy-Vee, and then there's divisions, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. You really aired yourself out on here yeah. sometimes. Nutmeg is a hallucinogen. How much do you need to take? Because it contains mis- <laughs> myristicin, a natural compound that has mind-altering effects. You can experience hallucina- hallucinations if you ingest large quantities of nutmeg. I'll bet you Joe Rogan's done that. <laughs> Why do Why? you say that? Because he does all kinds of that stuff. He'll eat mushrooms and stuff on his podcast. Yeah, he does like just hallucinogenics. To, just to he's he, he's big and believes that like the the properties hallucin- hallucinogenics or whatever like unlock stuff in your brain and oh, let yeah. you help you understand the world and stuff. <laughs> He he explains it a lot better than I do, but like <laughs> they'll be eating mushrooms and tripping on their freaking on his podcast. Uh, that's so. what we I say we do next. <laughs> I do too. He got a hundred million dollar deal from Spotify, so yeah. it must it must work. That's the issue we're having, guys. Yeah, we don't have our we don't have our mushrooms out. We need some right? nutmeg. Yeah. So that's it. That's your wacky fact of the day. Yeah, I didn't have time to prepare that's one today. Rough. That was pretty sad. What are you like freaking you're like right. two for ten? Are we good? Yep. All right, Mike. Oh, reminder, YouTube, if you're gonna go if you subscribe to us on YouTube or you watch these on YouTube, again, there's a new raised hunting podcast YouTube channel. We'll put the link in here. There is no profile picture so you can recognize the difference. There's still raised hunting, and then there's the raised hunting podcast channel. If you're gonna watch these on YouTube, go follow that because eventually we will not have these on the raised hunting channel. Yes, correct. And thank you guys for continually leaving the reviews. You guys have been reaching out with topics and all kinds of stuff. So um, we certainly appreciate it. And we uh, will continue to push on him to do better with his wacky facts that I think you guys got let down this week. So other than that, we're out of here. Raised Hunting signing off.